Please listen carefully. Go, go. adventure into the world of retro computing news and information featuring the tandy color computer hey you got your coco 3 yet coco Welcome, Coco Cruisers. You're listening to the Coco Crew Podcast, episode 94. Let's see, I am John Linville. I'm joined by my host. Let's see, we've got Neil Blanchard. Hello, Neil. Hello, John, and everyone listening. Rowan, hello, Mike. Hello, Coco Cruisers. Of course, Boise Pete. Hello, Boise. Coco forever. All right. So, uh, things are moving along. Let's see, Coco Fest is coming up in about a month. So, uh, looking forward to that, I'm sure. At least those of us going, I guess. <laughs> uh, Tandy <laughs> Assembly is, what, another six months or so away? So uh, that'll be fun for sure. Uh, let's see, what what about uh, any projects? Who's doing something? Anyone working on anything? I kind of dropped the ball on the uh, on the uh, FNX 6809 for the F256. We're in the middle of uh, some stuff here that just keeps me so busy but uh, i need to pick that back up that's not quite coco related but it is 6800 related sure you, you got that in hand now i do i have the machine in hand i actually have the port uh done in the sense that i can i have a port uh of nitrous nine and i have the uh the modules uh i just need to come up with a good way to load the modules into the system given how the memory is arranged and the flash is arranged you know, to bootstrap the system. I have an idea on how to do that. I just haven't tested it out yet. Sure. Cool. Sounds like good progress. Okay. So what about uh, anybody buy anything on eBay or any other acquisitions? I think you did, John. Yeah. I understand <laughs> you got made an incredible purchase. Oh, uh, well, yeah. uh, probably dumb. Infamous <laughs> 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 um, uh, purchase. We'll put it that way. Yeah, it uh, kind of rewarded somebody's uh, long-term greed, I think is what it amounts to. But uh, at least I got them to back off the price a bit. Um, so, yeah, the, those of you who have heard over the t- the course of this podcast, we've occasionally poked fun at someone's uh, uh, eBay listing for a, uh, a Coco 2 with a New York Times property tag on it. And uh, that person seemed to think it made the uh, value of the piece uh, a lot more than I think what most of us would think. Um, anyway, uh, I've kind of uh, got a hint from eBay. I think that they had dropped the price and I made them an offer that was a little more reasonable in my opinion. And uh, I guess they agreed. And, and uh, so I ended up with it. So the, the, uh, uh, the New York times Coco listing is no longer on eBay. Uh, I can Thank still see God. it. Yeah, it was, of course, but uh, <laughs> you know, as I bought it. But uh, <laughs> anyway, I have that and the the magical uh, water controller or whatever the, <laughs> the 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 add-on pack is supposed to be, which is mostly just a matter of uh, opto isolator circuits connected to a DB25 connector. But uh, did it control something? Did it control a water cooler at the New York Times or something? 
Well, let's see. What is uh, that was sort of a a ledge, I think. Um, You know, an equipment rack where it was being used as a process controller. The other units in the rack had something to do with regulating the flow of water. Presumably, it has something to do with water. I have no idea if it was actually at the New York Times or even a subsidiary. Or I have no idea what kind of offices they have around the country, but they, they may have more than just places in New York City itself. Anyway, uh, whether or not this was ever actually possessed by the, what do they call it, the gray lady, I have no idea. I suspect somebody found a sticker somewhere and stuck it on something they had because they thought it was funny. But, <laughs> um, you know, there, there is a, like you said, it's a property control sticker or whatever, but there's no number actually embossed or even penciled in. So it kind of makes me think it just was a sticker off of a, a roll of some sort and uh, somehow made it onto this cocoa. And, you know, years later, inflated the value in someone's mind and uh, eventually I bought it. So <laughs> anyway, anyone else buy anything cool recently? No, Not I recently. went on that one. <laughs> Neil, are you trying to break in? Yeah, I was just going to say, we can't match the uh, New York Times cocoa. <laughs> so well, anyway. Washington uh, Post cocoa next week, I guess. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Maybe a Twitter cocoa or something. That would be funny. <laughs> I can't believe that was listed since 2015. Well, about that. All right, well, that'll probably do it for an introduction for episode 94. So uh, why don't we uh, take a little break here, and we'll be back with some announcements. Since 1994, Cloud9 has made cool stuff for your color computer. Now Cloud9 is proud to announce the 2-megabyte Triad Plus memory expansion board. The Triad Plus works in two ways. Purchase just the Triad Plus board to expand your color computer 3 from 128K to 512K of RAM. Or add the new Protector Plus MMU to access the full 2 megabytes of static RAM aboard the Triad Plus. And the Protector Plus MMU utilizes full buffering to protect your CPU. Unlike previous 2 megabyte memory expansions for the Coco 3, the Triad Plus operates seamlessly without the need for special patches, configuration, or workarounds. Games like Donkey Kong Remix and Sierra Adventure games simply work without hassle. And the Triad Plus will reduce your Coco's power consumption and heat generation. The Triad Plus and Protector Plus MMU, only from the innovative engineering of Cloud9. Cool stuff for your color computer. Visit cloud9tech.com for details. All right, Coco Cruisers, now it's time for announcements. You are listening to the Coco Crew Podcast. We are available on Twitter with the Twitter handle of at sign Coco Crew Podcast or at sign C-O-C-O-C-R-E-W-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. Uh, see, we also are available on Facebook. We have a Facebook group called the Coco Crew Podcast. Uh, let's see. Um, we are, of course, a podcast. And if you go to CocoCrew.org, you can find an RSS feed. And if you're not quite so inclined, uh, you can find us uh, available through uh, AppCast or uh, or through Google Play. Those are as the podcasts or download the episodes to listen to offline. And, of course, if you just want to listen online, uh, we're available on Spotify for streaming, of course, uh, streaming through Stitcher and through TuneIn. Um, let's see. For some time, we've taken... Uh, um, all of our audio podcasts and, and done some conversions on them to produce a, a video version, and which we upload to YouTube. The link is in the show notes for a, a playlist there. If you prefer to uh, access the podcast through YouTube or um, 
the main advantage to using YouTube is um, they actually generate pretty good subtitles uh, automatically. So if you have any trouble, if you have any problems with your hearing, or if uh, perhaps English first language, uh, some people say it's a little bit easier to to um, follow the podcast uh, using subtitles. Uh, so you, in that case, you may want to try try to consume the podcast through YouTube. We are a member of the Throwback Network, which is a, uh, a list of retro-themed podcasts uh, kind of centered around 80s culture. Uh, so if you are all caught up on the Coco Group podcast and looking for something else to listen to, then we recommend that you check out the Throwback Network. Also, we are listed on the Game by Game podcast information hub. This also is a list of... Uh, retro themed podcast but in this case the theme is a little more centered on game technology computing uh, that sort of stuff so the podcasts listed there cover um, various 80s era home computers and or uh, game consoles so uh, again if you are caught up on the go group podcast and looking for something else to listen to we recommend that you check out the game by game podcast information hub Audio for the Coco Crew podcast is hosted by Anchor by Spotify, um, which now I recently got an email about that. I, I think that's changing its name. Spotify something else. And does anyone remember? I guess not. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember either. Yeah, I forget what it changed to. Podcast, okay. Spotify, or Spotify podcast, something like that. So Spotify podcast, whatever. It was Anchor by Spotify, and I think the link is still valid in the show notes. So um, if you need to know, feel free to reach out. We'll straighten you out. Uh, if you do want to reach out to the host of the Cocoa Crew podcast, then uh, via email, we have uh, uh, three addresses that you can use that will reach all the hosts. Uh, these are show, S-H-O-W, at cococrew.org. That's at sign C-O-C-O-C-R-E-W dot O-R-G. Also, we have podcast, P-O-D-C-A-S-T, at cococrew.org. And feedback, F-E-E-D-B-A-C-K, at cococrew.org. And if for some reason you want to send an email but just on one of the hosts, uh, then we each have an email address available for that. Uh, I'm available as John, J-O-H-N, at cococrew.org. Neil, of course, is Neil, N-E-I-L, at cococrew.org. Mike is Mike, M-I-K-E, at cococrew.org. And Boise is Boise, B-O-I-S-Y, at cococrew.org. All right, that's the end of our standard announcements. Um, here we've got a, a, a few announcements for events happening in real life that we think might be of interest to our listeners. So let's see, uh, coming up April 14th through the 16th of 2023, we have uh, Vintage Computer Festival East. Themes for this year, number one, computers and education. Number two, keeping vintage computing alive. This will be held at the uh, InfoWage Science Center and History Museums on Marconi Road in Wall, New Jersey. I shall be there. Oh, so then you'll be able to see Boise. Always been a pretty good event that I've been a few times myself. And, uh, you hit upon the Jersey Shore <laughs> and, uh, experience, uh, the historical, um, sites there and, uh, visit in their, uh, museums or technology oriented museums and, uh, 
of a, a cool event. So if you're a nerd, <laughs> so which I guess I am. Anyway, so that's um, April 14th, 15th, and 16th of 2023, Vintage Computer Festival East. All right, so coming up April 22nd to 23rd, 2023, we have the 31st annual last Chicago Cocoa Fest. This will be the uh, Cocoa event um, put on by the Glenside Color Computer Club in the Chicago area. This is going to be held at the Holiday Inn and Suites, Chicago, at Carroll Stream uh, in Carroll Stream, Illinois. Have not been to the venue. Then the event will run similarly to previous events. Hopefully it'll be a good time. Uh, certainly been the core event for the Cocoa community for a long time and uh, may continue to be for some time. So I uh, wish they had a, a clever write-up for, you know, as a, you know, a hook to get people to come. So all I can do is tell you that I've been there many times myself, not to this location, but to this event. All of us have been to this event, and um, this is kind of the event that got us all together. So if you're a Cocoa person, this should probably be something on your calendar. So figure out to how to plan and get there. Like I said, it'll be this month. So see you there. All right. Let's see. Coming up, April 29th to 30th of 2023, we have the Indie Classic Computer and Video Game Expo uh, coming up in Indianapolis, Indiana. So I think this is, um, I think Randy Kindig, uh, is, uh, of Floppy Days and other podcasts, is uh, a primary organizer of this. I'm sure there'll be a lot of good participation and cool retro stuff. Let's see, it says, okay, Glenshead guys, listen, this is what I'm talking about. You should have something like this for Coca Fest on your website. <laughs> Indie Classic is a two day expo featuring retro and vintage arcade games, gaming competitions, computer and console exhibits, buy, sell, trade with anyone, anytime, no table required. Meet Randy Kindig host of the Floppy Days Vintage Computing Podcast, and co-host of Antic, the Atari 8-Bit Podcast. So, there you go, Glenn There's something to aspire to. Give us a blurb like that on your website so I can uh, have something to say when I get to announcing your event. So, anyway, there you go. It's the the, uh, Indie Classic Computer and Video Game Expo, April 29th to 30th in Indianapolis, Indiana. All right, let's see, moving on. Okay, now we've got uh, June 23rd to the 25th of 2023, uh, Boat Fest 2023. So this is uh, Amiga DOS for Retro Gaming Presents Boat Fest 2023, a vintage computer exposition in Hurricane, West Virginia. Uh, Featuring Commodore 64, Amiga, TRS-80 Coco, Apple Macintosh, Amstrad, ZBC, Atari ST, Apple II, ZX Spectrum, Coleco, Atom, Atari 1200XL, Nintendo, Sega, 3DO, Vectrix, and many more. Three days of peace and micros. (laughs) So uh, this is, I think, their second year of this event. Must have been successful enough the first year to have another one. Um, Haven't been. Haven't heard a report of anyone that did go that I can think of, but uh, I assume it's a success. So if it's near you, if you're somewhere near West Virginia and looking for something to do towards the end of June, uh, then I recommend you check it out. All right, coming up, uh, so July 22nd to the 23rd, 2023, 
We have Classic Game Fest, the biggest retro gaming event in Texas. They do stuff big in Texas. Hopefully, if nothing else, you'll be able to get some good beef brisket barbecue. See, well, the website's here. There's a link in the show notes. Um, let's see, info. Maybe I can find the blurb there. It's at the Palmer Events Center. Okay, well, let's see. Enjoy 75,000-plus square feet of retro video games and fun at the Palmer Events Center overlooking Ladybird Lake and the downtown Austin skyline. Palmer Events Center is conveniently located only a short walk from many hotels, restaurants, bus stops, and bike rental stations. So there you go. We um, I, I personally don't know a lot about this event. We did get some feedback from uh, Brendan Donahue. Um, who I guess is local to the Austin area, or at least close enough. He's been to this event. Sounds like a pretty cool event. So if you're uh, in or around Austin and looking for something to do towards the end of July, then I definitely think you should check out Classic Game Fest. All right, one more. So coming up July 28th through 30th, 2023, the Southern Fried Gaming Expo being held in Atlanta, Georgia, at the Marriott Renaissance Waverly. The Southern Fried Gaming Expo features more than 300 arcade and pinball machines, dozens of new and retro console systems, a massive tabletop library, RPGs, wrestling, music tournaments, a vendor expo, exciting panel sessions, guest speakers, and so much more. Game all weekend at hashtag SFGE2023. So when it says wrestling, I assume that that is uh, something for you to watch, not something for you to do. <laughs> well, the idea of a bunch of uh, retro computing geeks uh, ripping down and uh, ripping shirts off and hitting each other with chairs or something like that sounds kind of fun. Sounds like Coco <laughs> Fest to me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Coco Festival. But uh, again, so if you're in the southeast part of the United States or somewhere reasonable to Atlanta, at the end of July, looking for something retro to do, then we recommend that you check out Southern Fried Gaming Expo. All right, that is uh, the end of my list. So um, we're going to take another little break, and then we'll be back with the news. Build performance into your system with OS9 software tools from Microware. Unix-based, multitasking, modular, and versatile. These key features are some of the reasons why more 6809 computer manufacturers have selected OS9 as their standard operating system than any other. OS9 has been put to the test by thousands of users in almost every conceivable computer application in business, science, industry, education, and government. Choose from powerful development tools such as OS9 Pascal Language Compiler, the most complete and versatile Pascal available for the 6809, CIS COBOL Compiler, ideal for most demanding business applications featuring ISAM, Basic 09 Structured Basic Interactive Compiler, fastest and most comprehensive full basic language available for the 6809, and the C Language Compiler. Complete implementation of the Unix version 7C language includes integer, character, signed, unsigned, float, and long data types. For more information, contact your computer supplier or contact us directly at Microware Systems Corporation, 5835 Grand Avenue, Des Moines, Iowa. Unix is a trademark of Bell Laboratories. CIS COBOL is a trademark of Microfocus Incorporated. OS 9 and Basic 09 are trademarks of Microware and Motorola Incorporated. All right, Coco Cruisers, welcome back. Now it's time for the news. The first news item is actually a three-parter YouTube series by Ken Waters. You have a real Coca-1 or 2. Now what? 
part one, part two, and part three. This is Ken Waters, a Canadian cocoa enthusiast, who is talking about, uh, for people who are new to the cocoa, or maybe just got a cocoa, what is a color computer, how to hook it up to a TV, uh, what are the various parts inside. So it's sort of an intro video or set of videos for cocoa uh, newcomers. The next news item is one that is near and dear to my heart. CMOC 0.1.81 is out. Fixes for some C functions under OS 9 by Mr. Pierre Sarazin, which is uh, the author of CMOC. Uh, he, this is a post that looks like to the Cocoa list. He fixes some, uh, some bugs in various string compare functions in OS 9. Uh, adds a square root uh, function, has some optimizations and minor fixes, continues to make this C compiler a very good cross-compiler for the Cocoa. I've used it. I like it. I recommend you use it. The next used item is HydriWire, version 0.6 release update, February 4th, 2023, by Mr. Michael Furman. Mikey has posted a an update to uh, Pi DriveWire. Uh, it looks like he has it uh, running on macOS or macOS Apple Silicon, which is nice. Uh, and uh, I don't see any specifics on the web page about what the changes are, but he's always improving the software, and it's very good to see that, uh, given the fact that uh, DriveWire is near and dear to my heart. Uh, he also talks about uh, the last Python 2 edition, and a Windows version upload to GitHub for package. So uh, he continues to work on this, which is very nice. Thank you, Mikey. Yeah, it's a great, uh, great implementation of DriveWire for sure. Absolutely, absolutely. Not totally in the Python camp. Uh, you probably have heard of the language. They, they did something really weird with the the Python open source community. Um, they port uh, Python between two version two and version three in uh, slightly incompatible or maybe more than slightly incompatible ways. And so uh, that's part of his announcement is that uh, this is his last version of that will work with Python two. Um, so uh, probably well, it's probably about the right time anyway, but uh, I think a lot of the, at least the Linux distributions have uh, largely switched over to Python three by default. You know, if you're running, um, I'm not sure how they do stuff on Windows um, or, um, you know, if you have an, an older edition or, or you're managing a, a, just a local install of Python, then uh, you may want to look at uh, updating on that one. All right. The next news item is Create Video Games on TRS-80 Coco by Marco Bedaletti. This is a Facebook post. Marco is um, talking about something called is that micro G basic or UG basic? Yeah, I think it's UG basic. Yeah. UG basic. Yeah. I, I didn't know if he was trying to use the micro symbol sure. there. Use it. But uh, anyway, um, looks like it has an IDE. And um, don't know much about it, John. What, what can you tell us? Nothing. Uh, I guess it's, uh, you know, it's a, a version of basic. It's some sort of, uh, I think it's compiled. And, uh, you know, it's just another language. If you're looking for a, a way to write stuff that'll run on the Cocoa, it's another one of those kind of attempts we see uh, of 
somebody who's uh, developed a you know a programming environment and uh, theoretically they've targeted it to um, you know multiple targets so depending on how stuff works you could write a program and deploy it to the coco as well as whatever other targets he's got how well that works i think it might be a, a matter of opinion i don't know i'm not trying to down it i just don't know um maybe i'm a little skeptical but <laughs> um it may be a great way to work with it. and if nothing else you could write programs in this new language maybe it's to be your new hobby well it's always good and fun to explore languages both interpret yep. and compile so i'm glad to see that good work the next news item is MM1 Software Preservation Spreadsheet by Joel Avey. This is a Facebook post on, surprise, surprise, I didn't realize this existed, a MM1 Multimedia One Computer Facebook group. Mm-hmm. Joel is using a spreadsheet to track uh, software, I guess, that were that was MM1 specific. I had an MM1 back in the mid-90s. Good times with that machine, but I let it go. And, uh, well, it was a fun, fun OS 968K machine. What can I say? The next news item is HB6809 Homebrew Computer by Dave Collins. It's on Hackaday. This is a, um, and I'm just looking at this closely, um, like a Homebrew 6809 computer. Uh, I don't recognize the board. It says HB6809 Minimal Expansion Computer. Has a somewhat large board, looks like a 16K of ROM, 32K of RAM, prototyping space. Looks like it has an expansion bus. John, what can you glean from this thing? Pretty much nothing other than what you've described. I mean, like you said, there's a, an expansion area if you want to add your own circuits. There's also uh, some connectors there that you can add uh, daughter boards. Looks like it could be something fun to play with, especially if you don't have anything similar yourself. If you're interested in doing a, you know, a little mix of software and hardware development, looks like a cool project. It's uh, pretty well documented there, so uh, could be a good way to get your feet wet on this sort of thing if you're interested. Yeah, I see there's a real 6809, not E, but 6809 E. Or sorry, CPU. Very nice. It's always good to see more, more sixty-eight oh nine, like right, like uh, more cowbell. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. The next news item is yet another compiler, small C sixty-eight XX, small C for the Motorola sixty-eight XX family under Linux by Neil Cherry. This is a GitHub link to a GitHub project that Neil has put together. For a looks like a small C compiler that supports the 6809, the 6800. Uh, looks like he's even uh, doing some other CPUs there. Again, fun languages. This is some good stuff. I enjoy seeing people working on languages, cross compilers uh, for the Cocoa and 6809. Very good work. Yeah, this is. Uh, I think he's basically collecting some historical source code. Um, and of course, like I said, it's small C, but it's not just C that's small, but literally it's it's a C-like language uh, that's not quite the same as regular C, there, but I can't really tell you all the differences. There were some books published uh, that uh, kind of documented that, but it was kind of from back in the day when people were trying to experiment with this sort of stuff and uh, figure out how to get compilers to run on their tiny machines. and. <laughs> Um, yeah, in this case, the way that, to do that was was to was to shrink the language, right? Shrink the language surface. 
So anyway, uh, if you're interested in small C, uh, then uh, this might be a, a way to find uh, to uh, play with the language and see, um, you know, to get past some of the initial hurdles. I think Neil's going to have to take care of to, uh, to have a credible project. So. Nice. The next news item is completing my 1609 calculator project, 16-bit addition and subtraction, 8-bit multiplication division and square root by Alexander. Sirondinko. Uh, this is a sorry, Sirondinko. This is a uh, looks like a board. Uh, I guess it's a prototyping board. It looks like it has some. Basically, it's a calculator. It has calculator keypad, uh, yeah. some digit readouts, a sixty-eight hundred nine. I mean, this is again another sixty-eight hundred nine project. Cool, uh, fun, uh, great to see something like this. This is just uh, it's, it's great stuff. Yeah, pretty cool. It's uh, like I said, it's, it's basically circuits on a on a proto board. Um, it's uh, it looks like a lot of work for what you got, in, in my opinion. <laughs> but if it's your kind of project, it it, it could be it's pretty well done. It's nice that they completed it and shared it, so it's kind of cool that way. Yeah, yeah. I think the sixteen and I would have made it would have made a great CPU for like a graphing calculator. Oh sure. Is this you? Oh my god, I've got 40 pages to print! Tired of waiting on a slow serial attached printer? End the waiting with Blue Streak Ultima, the ultimate serial to parallel adapter. Wow, I'll have this report ready in time for the meeting! Just connect Blue Streak Ultima to your Coco's built-in serial port and connect the other end to any printer with a 36-pin Centronics-compatible parallel printer port. Blue Streak Ultima works with any version Coco. Seven switchable baud rates, 300 to 19.2. Select the desired baud rate with the easy-to-use selector knob. No jumpers, no hassle, just faster printing. Try it on your system for 30 days, risk-free. If you're not totally satisfied with the performance of Blue Streak Ultima, return it for a full refund. Blue Streak Ultima comes with a one-year warranty and costs just $39.95. Blue Streak Ultima, the ultimate serial-to-parallel converter. All right, uh, our next news article is uh, whip this up as my next step in my disk formatting venture. Um, he has other posts, uh, but what this is is it's a, a flipper template uh, created by John Zizafolo. Hope I'm pronouncing your last name correctly. Um, no idea. <laughs> but yeah, he's he's gone down a, a really cool venture here on uh, floppy disks. So he's created a um, flipper template which you can make flippies out of. So you put it over a disk and you can uh, notch out the uh, the side and uh, the index hole. So you can uh, get two disks out of one. I remember that from back in the day. We used to do stuff like that. And he's also created in another post here. Uh, by the way, these posts are on the uh, the TRC Color Computer Facebook group. Uh, disc labels that uh, you can put on your floppy disks. So they uh, they use the Avery uh, standard Avery uh, labels, and it prints uh, nice looking diskette labels. So there you go. If you're still into floppy disks, <laughs> now you can get right back into it and uh, get some. Reports too late. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I still like the original floppies. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, you can check that out. All right, our next uh, news article is from Nick Bild. Uh, Pico ROM emulates ROM chips to allow for rapid development of retro computer software. This is really cool. So it seems like an inexpensive way. Because I know you can buy devices that do this. 
so you can, you can emulate ROM chips on various retro machines uh, just using a, a Raspberry Pi uh, Pico. So I, I don't know the cost involved on that that Raspberry Pi version, but I, I'm sure it's a lot cheaper than uh, than buying an actual ROM emulator. Yeah, they're really cheap. That's cool to see. Those look like a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. All those, yeah. All those wires. <laughs> yeah. Uh, looking at that now here on the the GitHub page, but uh, that's a cool project if you want to venture down that. Either way, it's neat to see. All right. Uh, next news article is from Nicholas Ervik Gronaboom. Again, I'm, I'm really hoping I'm pronouncing your name right. Uh, today, I added the Cocoa 3 to the list of official supported systems in TRSE, which is the Turbo Rascal, and it is the first 6809 system that I've added. So there you go. We have 6809 support in the uh, development system here. Yep, pretty cool. Yeah, and he's also on this post here, um, has a graphical tech demo. Pretty impressive. Nice animation. Looks like something Simon Jonasson would do. <laughs> so you can see the capabilities of it here. All right, uh, next one for the news section is from uh, Chet Simpson. I'm finally close to finishing up the unit tests for the expression evaluator in the refractored version of the Chaos Assembler. So I'm not sure if you've uh, been following that one, John. Yeah, I don't know a lot about the specifics, um, but it, you know, it's part of his code development arsenal there that he's been uh, uh, spiffing up and making available. I think he's looking uh, for early testers as well, so oh, okay. interested. Yeah. Those looking for volunteers to hammer on it with well-formed and ill-formed code and expressions. <laughs> yeah, it's great to see. Chat's been busy. All right, uh, plethora of uh, news articles here from uh, Jim Gary. First one here, he's been trying to convert a gin rummy program to the MC-10, but he needs someone who knows how to play the game to test it. Well, that could be something you can hop out with. Kind of funny, I think. Yeah. Jim Rummy is on uh, so far that now you can't find anybody who knows how to play it. I'm sure you can find somebody, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, here's another one. Here he's got another byte uh, program typing meant to demonstrate simple AI techniques. Hawkman of Dindron for the TRS80 MC10. Uh, Fall from 20 programs. It's a French book for the Alice computer. Uh, Doctor Who Adventure. Jeremy Guggenheim. Uh, Camel Creative Computing. From 1979. Uh, pretty cool looking. Very, very reminiscent of Atari adventure game. Yeah, oh, cool. that's cool. Yeah. I remember playing that. So there you go. You got quite a few things from uh, Jim Gary to check out. All right. Uh, next news articles from uh, Paulo Garcia. UG Basic. A basic compiler for Commodore and Atari and Coco and dot, dot, dot. Yeah, so hopefully Paulo's given us uh, a good overview of UG Basic there. So if you're interested Kind of goes along with that uh, Marcos Bedaletti uh, link that Boise had. Right. Yeah, that's great. All right, next up, uh, we have Alan Huffman. A whole bunch from him. He's busy here uh, demonstrating. Uh, looks like going through on Chapter 10 here. It's a whole series here. Files, Command, and Memory in Cocoa Disk Basic. Write versus Print in Cocoa Basic. Color Basic Program Line Info Dump Program. And then the last one is, these lines are just too long. For color basic, mm -hmm. so the uh, yeah. it's an in depth read, and that's yep. of course on Alan, Alan's website. Alan kind of doing what he does, where he kind of takes some feature of Co Cocoa Basic and digs into it, and tells you probably more about it than you need to know, but uh, still kind of interesting. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah, thorough. Yeah, it's great information. All right, the next one up here. This is kind of cool. Uh, 
from Henry Reitveld, a fellow Canadian. He's always messing around with retro hardware, so i got to give him that. This one is uh, playing MIDI files on my repacked Handy Color Computer 3 and capturing the audio on his Coleco Adams Dynamite Sound Digitizer cart. So that's <laughs> a YouTube video he's created showing uh, this in, in, process, in progress here. That's pretty cool. Mm, pretty neat. Kind of a because I can, I guess. Uh, but it's uh, sometimes you need a reason to play with your stuff, so there you go. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. Telewriter 64, the color computer word processor. Three display formats, 51, 64, or 85 columns by 24 lines. True lowercase characters. User-friendly full-screen editor. Write justification. Easy hyphenation. Drives any printer. Embedded format and control codes. Runs in 16K, 32K, or 64K, with or without extended color basic. Menu-driven disc and cassette I.O. No hardware modifications necessary. So simple to use, it makes writing fun. Telewriter 64 can display more text on the screen than the Apple II, Atari, TI, VIC, or even the TRS-80 Model 3. Telewriter 64 surpasses all others for user-friendliness and pure power. Step up to professional word processing on the low-cost TRS-80 color computer. Telewriter 64, just $49.95 for cassette or $59.95 for disc. Telewriter 64 from Cognitech. All right. Hey, moving on, we've got a, a link to a, an email thread started by um, Don Barber. Don't know a lot about Don. I think he may be a little new to the community uh, or at least newly uh, Surfaced in the community, I think, or maybe I've just forgotten. <laughs> anyway, his email thread uh, is um, about uh, the AM9511. That's a, a designation for an, an old chip. AM9511, a arithmetic processing unit cartridge pack for the color computer. So he's taken this old chip and uh, put it on a, a card that you can plug into the Coco. And so using that, uh, you can. Uh, basically offload uh, certain math functions, specifically uh, the multiply, division, sine, cosine, tangent, arcsine, arc cosine, arctangent, um, exponent, power, square root, natural log and rhythm, um, and uh, supporting functions. So if you have a need to do those math operations in your programs, uh, you can write a program that runs on the Coco and offloads some or all of that math to this uh, piece of hardware and make it run a little faster, probably significantly faster. You know, I have no idea how many people need to do that math on the Coco, but if you do, this is probably a good way to get it done. But he has a, a, th a thread on the uh, Coco mailing list. I'm not sure how far along you went with it. I, th I think some people were asking for. Uh, to buy um, PCBs and parts kits from him at CocoFest. So if you're uh, if you're interested in that sort of thing, you may want to reach out to Don. He seemed amenable to that. And uh, so best of luck, and uh, we'll see what happens. Pretty cool. All right. Um, let's see. A next link is uh, from a John Parker, who uh, must be somewhere uh, from somewhere where. PAL is sort of the native video format, and uh, he's doing a, uh, a PAL to NTSC conversion on a Coco. So I guess he had a PAL Coco and wanted to make it work uh, or output NTSC video, probably uh, so that he could see uh, the NTSC artifacts, uh, colors, as were so popular in various Coco games. So um, he has a, kind of documented his process, uh, has some pictures, and uh, some of the... Um, Modifications he made to his cocoa, and uh, you can see some of the results he's gotten. 
and uh, looks like it was a success. So pretty cool. And for those who have wondered, uh, you know, if you're in a PAL area, but you are always uh, kind of wondering what the NTSC artifacting was all about, <laughs> uh, this is uh, this is a way you can get it without having to uh, pay for shipping across the Atlantic. So uh, you may want to check that out if that's you. All right. So let's see. Moving on, we've got um, we've got uh, several posts from Carl England uh, on. Uh, well, let's see, a couple of uh, uh, subjects, I guess. Let's see, one, he says, uh, he uploaded SDC magic to the Cocoa Archive, which is essentially a version of backup magic, um, but uh, it copies uh, physical copy-protected disks to uh, SDC disk images. And uh, I think uh, if you want to use that, there turns out to be uh, a, an upgrade to the SDC firmware that you're going to need, which I think is the... Uh, the gist of his uh, second link there is, ouch, I found a flaw in STC DOS when it comes to formatting SDF disks. Format a track that contains a sector number 247. The sector table uh, will be corrupted, possibly making the entire track unreadable. Um, so I think that was the report that prompted there to be a new STC uh, DOS release or STC firmware release. If, if you, uh, especially if you need to use Carl's utility, uh, you need to, f- to track down the STC DOS update. And uh, I don't think I have a link in the show notes, uh, but uh, the information is available with if you Google for it. All right, so let's see. Um, moving on to the next one. He says um, he just uploaded Crush to the archive. Crush is a compression utility for basic programs. After removing unnecessary bytes, the program lines will be packed. Program lines can be up to 30,000 bytes in length. <laughs> so I'm not sure why you need a, a basic program line that long unless you're doing a 10-line basic program, maybe. But if you haven't needed something like that, um, Carl has made his utility available. I guess this is, this is a, a utility with a pedigree back to uh, you know, the days when the Cocoa was getting a little old but uh not quite dead yet so <laughs> that kind of changes uh, the game for uh for one liner uh... yeah no doubt and of course then um he has an updated uh, his last link is uh oops i uploaded crush to the archive and then discovered a major bug i've just uploaded version 1.3 which eliminates the bug so if you uh wanting to use crush you may want to make sure that you've got version 1.3 and moving on, we've got a link to a YouTube video from um, someone on YouTube that goes by uh, the channel name is Kick Rock and Roll. Don't know anything about the channel. Um, the video is uh, basically kind of a introduction to the MC10. If you're listening to this podcast, there's a pretty good chance that you know as much about the MC10 as what will be revealed in that uh, video. But there might be something you didn't already know, and it's always gratifying to see somebody uh, pay attention to one of our beloved machines. Learn how to use your computer for more than just games with Hot Cocoa Magazine. Hot Cocoa is packed with business application programs, home management help, programming tips and tutorials, product reviews, and more. Subscribe for just $24.97 for 12 issues. That's 30% off the newsstand price. Let Hot Cocoa show you how much time you can save with your color computer. And save even more time with Instant Cocoa, the cassette version of Hot Cocoa Magazine, containing all of the programs that appear in the issue. See the latest issue of Hot Cocoa Magazine for details. Hot Cocoa, available at fine retailers everywhere. 
Okay, this next one is from Vern's Misadventures at YouTube. TRS-80 MC-10 Art 2 MCX-32 SD setup in use. So uh, I think we've seen some other, of uh, a couple of other Vern's videos uh, here recently. And uh, so it's a, it's a little bit uh, different, uh, pretty entertaining. Um, but he just walks through the setup of, of the MCX-32 SD, which is, a, you know, an interface for the MC-10 that allows you to extends uh, the basic a little bit and allows you to access uh, files on an SD card. So cool video, definitely worth checking it out. And our next one is from Tech Time Traveler at YouTube. Please stop doing this to old computers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this is this is kind of a, a it's somewhat lengthy, but uh, he doesn't go on too much of a tirade, but uh, he, he works with, uh, you know, very old retro computers. And I think in this case, there was a keyboard from a computer system uh, from the 60s. And uh, very difficult to find parts for something that old and that unique. And uh, he was interested in obtaining this keyboard and uh, makes reference to the, those keyboard guys who, uh, you know, want to take some old keyboard and convert it to use it on their modern computer or do some kind of, you know, steampunk. Right kind of stuff and uh, his irritation at uh you know I'm trying to restore an old computer and you're jacking the price up to 500 bucks for this keyboard and you know there's only okay. two left in the universe and so <laughs> and you're going to gut it and I want to preserve yeah. it look it up to your uh, ZX uh, uh, 81 right <laughs> yeah that's savage he does spend time talking about that that uh, 60 system and the the keyboard and as well. So yeah, it's definitely worth checking yeah. out that video. Well, I do think a lot of people that have old computers, um, maybe they vaguely remember their PC where you could um, swap keyboards willy nilly. Go get them down at the uh, corner store for ten bucks or whatever, and plug them in. They just work. And so they may not. They may just be thinking, well, this keyboard's worthless anyway. So you don't need it. You just need the computer. But that's not really true in the case of some especially older machines. Very true. All right. Uh, the next one here is from soigenesis.com. Dial a ROM for your vintage computers. So uh, a lot of the old, uh, I think this is particularly pointed at like, uh, you know, the Tandy 100 and those types of computers that had a ROM slot. Uh, or you could actually buy different programs and things on a ROM, plug them in uh, to those portable computers, the early ones. And this is a device that lets you, uh, you know, have uh, several ROM images. Uh, you can plug it in and just use like a, a, a dial to dial which ROM you want. So it saves a lot of wear and tear on your uh, your vintage computer if you're wanting to use uh, some of these ROM programs or, you know, maybe even roll your own. So pretty, pretty cool device. And we have another one here from tube time us at YouTube, the 6502 rotate right myth. Hmm. And uh, this is a fairly in-depth uh, lengthy video. Um, but it talks about the, kind of unwraps the the myth and the reality of the early versions of the 6502 had a problem with the uh, rotate right and uh, kind of talks about the history of it and 
you know, it was fixed, of course, in later versions of 6502, but the first uh, releases of them had this issue. And, uh, of course, the person who uh, created the 6502 and developed the code for rotate right was saying, no, the rotate right has always worked. Uh, that wasn't what the issue was. So if you're a 6502 fan and uh, or just looking for a good uh, technical story and a little history on the 6502, then uh, definitely check this out. Yeah, it's interesting, um, you know, uh, you know, since uh, someone is trying to set the record state straight, I think we may have touched on this as some other stuff in the past. Uh, so rather than... Uh, you know, continue to per- perpetrate a, a, a lie or whatever, <laughs> at least help them get the story out. That, uh, you know, that original 6502, it didn't rotate right, didn't work just because it didn't have one. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> you know, which is a little weird that they didn't think they needed one, but I guess they didn't. And it's still kind of, it was kind of neat too. Uh, they kind of described how they basically had to add an extra control line and they actually show some of the, uh, the, the chip layout and how they changed it and, you know, how it was addressed. Pretty cool. You're listening to the Coco Crew Podcast, a delicious adventure into the world of retro computing news and information. Mmm, featuring Tandy Color Computer. So moving on, we got one from uh, Tom Howerda. I guess that's how you say it. He runs a little site called OS News, which often has some retro stuff on it. And so the uh, the uh, title of the link here says, Cobol, you're thinking about it wrong. So you know, Cobol is like catnip for me when coming up with the news items. That, uh, if I see a link to Cobol, I seem to be compelled to include them. And so that's how that got here. Um, you know, but uh, so the, the body of the article here says, uh, yeah, headlines might indicate the language has fallen into disfavor, but the amount of COBOL in use continues to grow with 800 billion lines running in production systems daily, according to a global survey conducted last year by enterprise software firm Microfocus. Now, as an aside, Microfocus... I mean, they're pretty much known for microfocus COBOL, so they have a certain in, 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 uh, in uh, you know, a certain. It benefits them for you to think that COBOL is popular. <laughs> so, so you may want to take this with a grain of salt, but uh, it's according to microfocus, COBOL is considered strategic by 92% of survey respondents, and over half said they expect their organizations to keep running their COBOL applications for at least another 10 years. So. There you go, another one. Cobol's not quite as dead as you might think. A story, so fun, fun. All right, moving on. The next uh, link it comes from uh, Al Williams at Hackaday. Is the title there too cool for eight bit retro? Try one bit gaming. So he's got a little story there. It shows uh, someone's got a PCB, the circuit built around the Motorola. MC14500B, which is uh, apparently a one-bit CPU. <laughs> so if you can, uh, if you think eight bits is uh, a little hard to do uh, much of anything with, 
or constricting. Imagine no, trying to do all your math one bit at a time. Assume that uh, he's not only built the circuit, but also written some uh, some of these programs that you can see here. Pretty hardcore, but if, you, if that kind of thing appeals to you, you may want to check it out and see what he's done and how he's using those uh, switches on his board to play these games. So kind of neat. Check it out. All right, let's see. The next link it comes to is a YouTube link that comes from uh, Lococo Strangiato. Don't know anything about Lococo Strangiato, but uh, he's got a YouTube channel, so you may want to check it out. He uh, has a, a set of modifications that he's calling the Coco 3P, which I'm guessing uh, gives a certain amount of portability to a Coco 3. Um, so if you're hoping to make a laptop around a Coco 3 or otherwise you're feeling too encumbered by your Coco 3 sitting on your desk or, or whatever else, you may want to check this out, see how you can give it a little more freedom. Your mileage may vary. <laughs> All right. So let's see. My last link, it, uh, is a, a, it's a mail thread from the um, DC Talk mailing list at classiccomp.org. Kind of interesting because um, it uh, relates to a legal case, <laughs> and um, you can read in it's a, a lengthy thread. That, uh, basically, it's uh, it has to do with a legal appeal that um, someone was convicted of a, a I guess a rape as part of the appeals process. They uh, recovered uh, a diskette that had the um, the equivalent of the the notes or whatever was actually typed in by the uh, the stenographer, you know, the person recording the court proceedings with that weird little corded keyboard that you see them sitting there under the judge's uh, bench sometimes. So somehow as part of the appeals process, they had a diskette with this record. And they wanted to be able to read the diskette and, and get the uh, the original transcript. But... Um, you know, no one had the the uh, software or even the hardware, I guess, to really to, to read this. And so it was a little detective case and, uh, you know, a digital detective case, so to speak. And uh, anyway, sounds kind of interesting. Uh, you may want to check it out if you're interested in, in that kind of whodunit stuff or, uh, you know, kind of Raiders of the Lost Ark style <laughs> investigation in the digital world. Yeah, it made me feel old because this was written on a deck PDP-11 running RSX-11, <laughs> which is an operating system I used. <laughs> right. <laughs> this commercial is going out to you, Boise. Un ordinateur couleur, quelle personnalité Le Coco 2 de Radio Sac. On solde pour Noël à partir de 149,95. Coco 2 de Radio Chat, ton affaire est dans le sac, c'est Okay, uh, our next one is from the Taylor and Amy show at YouTube. The TRS-80 MC-10 laptop. So <laughs> this, this video is, uh, shows an MC-10 uh, with a, uh, a small screen attached to it. Uh, well, I guess if you put a hinge on a display, it's considered a laptop. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <a> door stop. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, the, um, the craftsmanship is, you know, remarkable. Um, they piece together some 
uh, hinges or and, uh, uh, a small LCD and maybe some um, Lego pieces and uh, and they actually you know, putting that on basically blocked the uh, the memory uh, or the MCX32 um, from from being able to be installed. So they uh, kind of wired up a, a cable to basically an extension cable that let them relocate the the uh, MCX32 SD. And uh, they made it work. It's kind of, you know, if 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 not just if just for the pure cheek of it, you know, not certainly not practical, but pretty neat that they would pull that off. Um, more more effort than I would probably put into it, but uh, still kind of cool. So interesting to watch. Well, that's definitely you, know, you always learn something by uh, you know pushing that envelope and trying things that may seem ludicrous on the surface, but uh... You, like you said, you can discover. Hey, this actually works. This next one's from Dave Roundtree at Hackaday. Paramedic Pre- Paramedic Press unravels the JPEG format. So uh, this is pointing to uh, an article that goes into painstaking detail about the JPEG format. It looks uh, looks pretty good. I haven't taken the time to go through it, but I, I'm definitely going to go back when I've got some more time. Um, so it looks like a very thorough explanation and understanding of the uh, JPEG format. So if you're interested in working with graphics or, uh, you know, pulling JPEGs into your, your cocoa or taking something from your cocoa and turning it into a JPEG, you'll probably be very interested in this article. All right. This next one's from Jacopo Prisco. Why the floppy disk just won't die. <laughs> won't uh, die. It won't die. There's people still using it. Uh, of course, they're still citing the, uh, Still, still seem to be real popular with uh, sewing machines, and certain sewing manufacturing uh, devices, as well as the 747, which we've cited several times. Say, yeah. <laughs> 747, yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, they're, the days are numbered because, uh, you know, they're not making floppy disks anymore. So people are going to, over time, have to convert to something to replace them. But a good article on uh, floppy disks. And our final news article for episode 94 is from Nerdly Pleasures, the saga of the color brown in the early years PC. Interesting article talks about the color brown and uh, some of the challenges of actually showing that color in uh, early computers. Interesting. Not necessarily apl- applicable to the cocoa, I guess, but kind of cool. And uh <laughs> I think somewhere buried in all that, uh, or at least in some of the comments, if nothing else, is the uh, revelation that uh, that uh, brown is uh, the same hue as orange, <laughs> or you know, orange and brown are essentially the same hue, just to different saturations. Uh, I think is true and discoverable, but not obvious. <laughs> so anyway, but the I'm not sure that has much to do with the technology, but it's interesting to to see the technological stuff that that uh, you know was deemed necessary uh, back in the day. All right, well, I guess that brings us to the end of our news segment. So why don't we um, play a little ceasefire, take a break. Um, we we'll back um, probably hit you with some feedback and, uh, and then maybe uh, maybe there'll be more. <laughs> What do you want, mister? I'm looking for gold. 
Shoot, mister, we ain't got no gold around these here parts. But you can look all you want. <laughs> we got plenty of lead and tin, though. <laughs> Who are you? What you got there, stranger? It's the new J&M Systems JFD Coco Disc Controller. It sets a new standard in performance and quality. Its built-in digital phase lock loop data separator means no need for adjustments, ever. And the card contacts? Pure gold. Best of all, the JFD Coco is plug compatible with the original Coco and the new Coco 2. How much, stranger? Just 139 bucks! Wait, wait, where can I get one? From J&M Systems, Albuquerque, New Mexico. <laughs> okay, Coco Cruisers, now it's time for feedback. The, uh, once again, we're uh, a little bit short on feedback. Uh, we did manage to get one that came in uh, without uh, too much uh, uh, digging. <laughs> uh, this, uh, again, comes from uh, Mr. Brian Weasler. says, I've been enjoying your host discussions. I like Mike's point that things have always been retro. I imagine that 40 years from now, the laptop I'm using will be a collector's item to someone. Probably true uh, if it manages to still turn on in 40 years. <laughs> or somebody will want it and, and probably uh, hail it as uh, the first computer that ever did, you know, TikTok or something like that. Um, no one will say it would be true, but it will be a good story for someone. <laughs> anyway, thanks, Brian. It's always good to hear from you. All right. Well, that's for the end of our feedback section. So, uh, again, we'll take another break and uh, be back with uh, the rest of the show. Turn any color computer with extended basic into a complete disk system with the new FD501 color thin line disk from Radio Shack. Store over 156K of data. Write your own disk programs or use ready-to-run software. The disk operating system is built into the program pack cartridge that connects the disk drive to your color computer. And the FD501 has room to add a second drive, providing an additional 156K of storage. This month only, purchase a two-drive FD501 color thin-line disk system for just $359.95. That's a 25% savings. Apply in-store for a CityLine revolving account and pay as low as $20 per month. The FD501 thin-line disk. Only from Radio Shack. A Tandy company. All right, Coco Cruisers, welcome back to our favorite part of the show, this little host discussion. So uh, our, our topic today um, kind of comes out of uh, some chatting among friends. And, uh, you know, our friends, of course, are, are Coco people. <laughs> so uh, especially with Coco Fest coming up, that's always uh, an influence on our, our our discussions, our state of mind. And uh, so uh, our friend is uh, basically they have uh, produced something in the Coco world. It's a, it's a good something that uh, – some people, there are plenty of people like to use, um, but consequently, there's always somebody who's a little new, or maybe um, maybe not so new, but not totally experienced with, with the something. They're looking for support. Now, this is a, a free something, something that you can um, you know get all, all the information required for it, uh, all all the software required for it. You can just download it, including documentation. But uh, sometimes people still want a little extra help, and that's understandable. Um, don't fault anyone for asking for a little help. But the truth is that uh, sometimes people want so much support on these things, especially these things that are free projects that you've kind of given to the world out of the goodness of your heart, 
um, that they, they, sometimes it's a, a no good deed goes unpunished sort of situation where you go to a public event like Cocoa Fest and then people want to talk to you and, and uh, basically to put demands on your time to for you to help them do their project based on your project and uh, kind of can, can consume all of your time that you wanted to have just to enjoy Cocoa Fest for what it is. And uh, not that you don't enjoy talking to people or helping people, but uh, it can be overwhelming. So uh, I don't know if that's totally summed it up. Hopefully there's left something on the table for our host to add to the discussion and maybe provide some suggestions. So what do you think? What What is the... Um, what is the right protocol? Or if you're someone who's looking for support on a free project and, uh, you know, you're hoping to, to pull someone aside at Cocoa Fest, uh, is there any precautions you should take or any, any, uh, anything you should do that, uh, help ensure that you're, you're benefiting from the people that can support the project isn't stealing from their, uh, their ability to enjoy Cocoa Fest? Anyone want to weigh uh, in? I'll, I'll weigh in on this. I have experienced this many times in my Cocoa Fest journey. And I would say that when you, you approach someone that you want help from that has made a product, project for free, and you approach them at Cocoa Fest, it really helps if you have a $100 bill in your hand. <laughs> <laughs> no, joking aside, it can be a time suck. And I'm there to enjoy Cocoa Fest. It doesn't happen much anymore, but it used to happen a lot. And uh, I just got to the point and said, look, I'll, I'll just give you five minutes of my time, and if we can't figure it out, you're on your own. Or if it was just, hey, explain something to me, I'd be happy to say, here's how this works or that works. But, you know, someone comes and hands you a super ID and says, hey, I, I haven't touched this in a year, and I can't get a West Line to boot on it. Can you make a boot file for me? You know, that's like a 30-minute exercise and uh, takes you away from other things. So my suggestion would be be considerate of people's time, you know, especially at an event where you're just there for the weekend and you know that you want to enjoy it, you want them to enjoy it, you don't want them to just support you the whole time. So that's my advice. Yeah, that seems like a good point. Um, and like I said, when you're estimating how long it should take them to help you, you need to... Uh, maybe pad the estimate of how much time it's going to take them before you ask them to, to donate their time to you. Um, maybe you should uh, you know, adjust your expectations a little bit. And uh, definitely, um, you know, be considerate. And uh, you know, if uh, if it runs a little long or whatever, maybe you could suggest switching to uh, some sort of offline chat or um, uh, email. Mm -hmm. and, yeah, because, uh, you know, I don't know about other people, but, you know, I fly into Cocoa Fest, so it takes considerable expense and time to be there for two days. And I want to maximize my my enjoyment of the event. And that is, you know, talking to more people, interacting with people, and not being bogged down by a problem for you know, an extended period of time. So, and of course, we can all say no, right? We can all say, look, I don't have the time. Or this is going to turn into a bit of a morass. It's not going to something we can solve within a reasonable amount of time let's continue it like you said john and chad or some other some other venue down the road so any other thoughts neil maybe yeah i was just going to add into that um what boise is saying is to be courteous uh with other people's time but i mean if it is something you want help with i mean maybe see if you can 
you know, schedule a, a different time, like, you know, maybe, you know, over email or a video chat, something like that. It doesn't really have to be at the fest per se. Yeah, I think these are all great points. Uh, I would add that it, it it's also not just at the fests where it can kind of be, you know, super focused, but even, you know, anybody who is taking the time and, and effort, uh, you know, you got to remember it's a, it's a hobby, but uh, I, I guess there's a lot of people that are just lazy. Uh, that don't even make an effort to solve the problem on their own or to read the documentation. And it gets old very quickly when you have a large number of people coming and basically saying, you know, do this for me, or even worse, complaining about their free product and their free support. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, and, you know, it's easy to be guilty of that. Uh, I guess the new phrase will be chat GPT as your friend. Yeah, right. Um. Well, like I say, I mean, um, the fest should be about, well, I mean, fests are about communicating and coming together and talking to people you know, whatever, meeting new people. But ultimately, they're about making connections, but not, not necessarily solving everything right there. So come and make the connection, maybe introduce yourself, maybe introduce your problem in case it actually is something that they can answer quickly. Um, but make the connection and then uh, be prepared to uh, take it offline, take it to email uh, or, um, you know, whatever kind of chat opportunities are available between the two of you. Um, but like I said, to try, yeah. try not, try not to demand so much of someone else's time that they don't enjoy the fest. So plus there's other people that probably want to talk to them too. Good points. All right. Well, does that beat it to death? You know, the other thing I was just going to add in there real quick, what always amazes me with this retro hobby, and you see it on all different platforms, not just the Coco, is to me the whole point of retro computing, at least for me, it's the learning aspect. You know, learning different operating systems, you know, the hardware, you know, programming if you're into that. You know, the last thing I want to do is ask somebody for help. I, I want to try to solve it on my own. And you see like a lot of basic questions, you know, on social media, you know, asking for DOS command lists and stuff like that. I mean, it's just one Google click away. I guess people, you know, are in the hobby for different reasons. For me, it's just, it's more educational. You know, I, I like the challenge of learning something new. Right. So there, there can be an impedance mismatch there where, um, you know, somebody comes to you with what seems like, a, you know, an obvious thing where they could have just looked at page three of the manual and there it was, um, but for some reason they didn't. Other people will say that they're, you know, they're just here to have fun. They don't want a homework assignment for everything they want to do. And can't you just tell me how to do this? And and sometimes that is appropriate. Um, right. I, I guess it's just another version of, uh, you know, be be generous with what you accept and, and uh, miserly with what you put out or, you know, something like that. So uh, be aware that other people may not be there or may not enjoy spending all of their time trying to help you with, you know, what essentially is, you know, your project that you've come up with that they didn't plan on spending the uh, you know, all of Cocoa Fest Saturday you know, working on your project. <laughs> and so hopefully there's not too many people in that position, but, uh, you know, like I said, it, it is possible to uh, to kind of uh, diminish someone else's uh, Cocoa Fest experience um, by putting too much demands on their time. And, uh, you know, what is too much? Well, I guess it depends, but especially if you're asking for support on a free project, um, you know, you should probably tread lightly. Anyway, well, now that we've said that, uh, for those of you who want to reply, then uh, please do 
feel free to send email to feedback, F-E-E-D-B-A-C-K, at cococrew.org, and uh, we'll be sure to um, file that appropriately and possibly respond later. All right. Well, that's uh, probably uh, enough uh, of that, so we'll uh, break it here and, uh, like I said, give you afterwards uh, Neil's Corner and uh, whatever parting thoughts we have, that sort of thing. Every day, a color computer is abandoned or abused. They live in the dark recesses of garages, basements, storage sheds, barns, and attics, waiting for someone to help. Hi, I'm Helen Bleedingheart. Please say you'll be the answer for Coco suffering the effects of extreme temperature overexposure to ultraviolet light, and conditions unfit for electronics. These COCOs need your help. Please call 888-6883 or go online and join the Color Computer Preservation Society with a monthly gift right now. For just $18 a month, you can rescue COCOs from their abusive environments, provide repair of damaged parts, administer retro-bright treatments, and most of all, provide love. Call or sign up online in the next 30 minutes, and we'll send you a photo of a cocoa being lovingly reconditioned by the CCPS. And you'll receive this beautiful tote bag that declares, I saved a cocoa. Yours for your generous, perpetual monthly gift. This is your chance to say, I won't sit by while a cocoa is wasting away. Please, won't you call or go online right now? Welcome back to Neil's Corner on episode 94 of the Coco Crew Podcast. This month, I'm going to talk about some Australian content. This game is called Space Marauder. It was coded back in 1987 by Craig Stewart. What's extra cool is that this game was the winner of the Australian Coco Magazine Game Coding Contest in 1987. That's right, Australia had their own Coco Magazines too. Also on a side note, This wasn't Craig's only game contest he won. The first contest he won was a game called Pursuit he coded also for the Color Computer 3 the year before, in 1986. Space Marauder is an original arcade space shooter style game featuring two main playing levels. On the first level, you want to destroy asteroids and collect fuel pods. On the second level, it gets a little more serious. You want to destroy fireballs and the mothership, which is the Marauder, and will take 20 direct hits to destroy it. What makes this game extra challenging is you have to shoot the enemies with direct hits near the center of them. Otherwise, if you shoot near the sides, a bunch of sparks just fly out and making it more difficult to get around them. For controls, you use the left joystick port to fly your ship. You can move up, down, left, right, which helps dodge enemies and objects that can damage your shields. Keep in mind your shields are non-renewable, so once they're gone, they're gone. Joystick button is for firing and spacebar toggles your wing lasers. Beware though, as wing lasers use more power. Space Marauder requires a Color Computer 3 with 128K memory, joystick and cassette, or disk drive or any other disk emulator you may have nowadays. You can also use DriveWire. If you want to check this game out, you can fetch a copy of it from the Color Computer Archives website. There you have it. Another game for you to play on your Coco 3 if you haven't already. Until next month, happy Coco gaming and retro forever. Now if there is any dedicated group of old computer users, it is certainly the people who still love their Coco, the Tandy Color Computer. Well, can you blame us? It is the best 8-bit computer ever. We will always love our Coco. Well, it's that time again. 
we have reached the end of episode 94 on the Coco Crew Podcast. As usual, I'd like to thank our host John Linville for procuring all the news articles and providing us with informative tech segments. Mike Rowan for painstakingly editing the podcast and creating all those fun commercials you hear. Although this month I did the editing, so please send any complaints about editing to me. I'd also like to thank Boise Pete, our Coco historian. He remembers it, so you don't have to. Last but not least, all of you who listen and support us each month, we also really do appreciate your feedback. Well, until next month, happy cocoing and retro forever. It's a blast from the past. Please listen carefully. Coco. Like there's no tomorrow. What is this crazy rock and roll music anyway? It's a blast from the past. Dance, dance, dance. Let's go.